Hey, Daryl Spicer. What's going on, Gary Ragman? Man, are we having a time today. We are. Speaking of time. Hey, it's almost time for Lonesome Roads Church on the Road. Folks, get on board. Let's go for a ride in this big old truck. Hey, we're proud to be a voice of the highway. up I'm driving when the sun goes down the hum of 18 wheels Lord that's a lonely sound I spend all day chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day I gotta see I gotta look around I got diesel smoke rolling From two chrome stacks My address is 408-414 A big blue Mac Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day that I die I said hey Hey drivers, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn of In The Cab Radio along with my partner. Chaplain Daryl Spicer with In The Cab Radio. Hey, we've got another great program for you, but we'd like to get in the cab with you. Yeah, we'd like to ride along for a little bit. Yeah, there are our listeners are really, really going to be blessed today. Man, we've got we got a great program today. Two awesome sermons that, that's going to blow you away. The first one is uh, this was emailed to me. It's a young boy calling into a radio station, and you got to hear this uh, conversation. It's only a couple minutes long, but check this out. Hey, Mike, can I talk to you? You bet, Logan. What's up? I want to tell you something that God just told me. Okay. Last night, my dad was roping this calf, and this calf 
have been born from a really old cow. She she didn't have really the greatest milk. She didn't have like the vitamin C and stuff. Okay. Hold on. Mom! So cute, I guess, is mom to talk to. I'm talking right now. I'll be up in a But sorry about that. But anyway, he, she broke her back. And this morning I went out and put her down myself. I was talking to God. I was asking God why she was special. And God said, you know, Logan, but my son was special. But he died for a purpose. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. That calf was close to me. And God's son was close to him. Logan, you're, you're so right. Man, it's true. Think you're going to be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. But I just wanted to tell you guys that that is so important. Just remember, when you lose a loved one or a pet, always remember that God gave his son too, and he understands. He will always, and all, he will always understand. He will always just run to him. Logan, you're wiser than you know, buddy. Well, sometimes I don't think I'm wise. I Trust me, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, but I've learned from it. Yeah, but see, buddy, that's what makes you wise, somebody that learns from their mistakes. Well, thanks so much for calling. Oh, I just figured I'd better call and share with you guys. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, isn't that the most heart-wrenching sermon that you've ever heard? And I've never heard anyone explain the loss of a loved one any better than this young man here. And now we got a powerful, powerful message by... Dr. Tim Lee, and this is on the Great White Throne Judgment, and this is a message that we all need to hear. So pay attention, and then we want to hear from you after the program today. Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Now I'm speaking to you tonight on the subject of the great white throne judgment seat of God. Actually, there are other judgments that the Bible speaks about. The Bible speaks concerning the judgment of the nation of Israel. The Bible speaks concerning the judgment of the nations of the earth. The Bible speaks also concerning the judgment of the angels. Two primary judgments tonight that we're going to look at the great white throne, and then also for a few moments, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, most all believers, and even some folks who are unsaved, are interested in prophecy. Car and I, last three or so years, as we've flown across the country nearly uh, every week of the year, we've seen people reading the Left Behind uh, series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And even lost people reading them with great interest and a lot of people having questions about the end time and what is going to happen. And uh, so that's called prophecy. What is prophecy? God writing history before it ever takes place. Everything that God has ever said would happen has either already happened 
or it is happening or it is going to happen. He said, well, Tim, I'm not for sure that there's some of that stuff in the Bible that I believe would ever happen. It doesn't really matter whether you believe it or not. It's still going to happen. I saw a bumper sticker said the Bible, uh, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, the truth of the matter is it's settled whether you and I believe it or not. It's still God's word. And so what is the next great event on God's prophetic calendar? It's what we call the rapture. The word rapture is not actually found in the New Testament, but it means to be caught away. And how's this event going to take place? And when's it going to happen? Well, let me say, first of all, that no man knows the hour nor the day. If anybody ever tries to tell you that they know when Jesus is coming back, you can mark them off as a false prophet. No man knows the hour, no man knows the day. Now, having said that, we do believe that he can come at any moment. We do believe there's not one thing in this Bible that has to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. That means he could come tonight. He could even come before I finish this message. If Jesus was to come before I'm through here tonight, there'll be an empty wheelchair sitting on this platform. I've never been an astronaut, but one of these days, I'm going to be a was not. I'm leaving out of here. <laughs> How's it going to happen? Well, the Bible said that the trumpet's going to sound. And friend, we've never heard a trumpet blown like we're going to hear blown on that day. And the trumpet's going to blow, and then the Bible said that Jesus himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You say, I don't like shouting. You better get used to it. There's going to be shouting on the hills of glory. Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel. Then the Bible declares that the dead in Christ shall rise first. You say, well, Tim, how come they get to go first? Because they've got six feet further to go than you and I have. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. In the first part of his second coming, he's not coming to the earth, but rather he's coming in the clouds and we're going to meet him in the air. And we're going to be with the Lord in the air for a period of seven years. What's going to happen during that seven year time? Two great events that every believer in this building is concerned about and interested in. Number one is the marriage supper. I never met a Baptist anywhere, didn't like to eat. Well, we're going to have a grand and glorious supper. And then also the judgment seat of Christ. You said, Tim, is this important? Well, we're going to see in just a few moments how really important it is. But wait a moment. Let's go back to the earth for a few moments. What happens to all the people? who are left behind when Jesus comes back. They tell us tonight that there are approximately six and one half billion people living on this small planet called Earth. That is mind boggling. Six and a half billion people. Connie and I was in the Philippines in 1983. We were there the week that they buried Mr. Aquino who was assassinated. They said over two million people poured out in the streets of Manila for his funeral. It was mind boggling to see all those masses of people on the television screen. But my friend on this small planet we call Earth, there are two, there are six and a half billion people living tonight. Well, the, I, 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 the Bible says that there's a whole lot more who are going to hell than are going to heaven. The Bible said broad is the road that leads to destruction. And, and so when Jesus comes back, that means there's going to be a lot of people who are left behind. I heard a Christian commentator say that he believed that perhaps 20% of the earth's population was Christian. I don't believe the figure is that high, but let's take that. 
for a hypothetical situation. Let's say that 20% of the earth's population is saved tonight. That means when Jesus comes back, that 80% of the earth's population will be left behind. What's going to happen to those people? The Bible describes a seven-year period of tribulation. The last three and a half years is known as great tribulation. You say, well, Tim, you don't understand. I've already suffered tribulation. Friend, you've not suffered anything like you're going to suffer if you don't get saved by the grace of God. We're talking about bloodshed like this earth has never seen before. We're talking about war. We're talking about famine that would make Somalia look like a Sunday school picnic. Now, I know what some people are thinking. Well, Tim, if I'm not saved when Jesus comes back, then I'll get saved during the tribulation. Now, I want you to listen carefully. There will be people saved during the tribulation. However, you won't be one of them. You said, Tim, how in the world can you be so dogmatic? I want you to go to the book of 2 Thessalonians, if you would, and chapter number two. 2 Thessalonians and chapter number two. We're going to begin reading at verse number seven. And here it is. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. Remember last night we talked about where the Holy Spirit lives. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In the believer. Well, listen, when Jesus comes back, the believers are out of here. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is gone too. You think things are bad on this earth right now. You wait till there's no more Christians. And you wait till the presence of the Holy Spirit is gone. Then you'll understand what chaos and confusion is all about. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. The wicked is a reference to the Antichrist. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. In them that perish. Now, why do they perish? Rightly divide the truth of the word of God. You don't have to take things out of context to prove a point. Read the very next sentence that tells you why they perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Verse number 11. And for this cause, what cause? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Tonight you have an opportunity to hear the truth. Tonight you have an opportunity to respond to the truth and tonight you will have an opportunity to receive the truth. But if you reject the truth and you're left behind when Jesus comes back, the Bible declares in that day that you would rather believe a lie than to believe the truth. Even if you could get saved during the tribulation, you'd die a martyr's death. Those who refuse the mark of the beast either in the forehead or in their hand will be forced out of existence. You won't be able to buy, nor will you be able to sell. And listen to this, they're going to bring the guillotine back. Now, pastor, if we said this a decade ago, people thought we were alarmists and that we were uh, far out. But now that after seeing those barbarians uh, uh, chop American heads off and put it on the internet for the whole world to see, we now understand how much a reality it really is. If you refuse the mark of the beast, you'll get your head chopped off. Hey, 
Why would you want to say no to Christ tonight? Be left behind when Jesus comes back. You couldn't get saved during the tribulation, but even if you could get saved, you get your head chopped off. Why would you want to go through all of that when you can get saved tonight and leave here when Jesus comes back? Just makes a great deal more sense to get saved now. And then what's going to happen after that seven-year tribulation? Go back to Revelation chapter number 20. In verse number one, and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. Four names they're given to the fallen angel Lucifer and they all four fit him perfectly and bound him a thousand years and cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for the day when the devil is going to be shut up. He's going to be shut up for a period of 1,000 years. And then what's going to happen? Then our Lord is going to come back to this earth. Remember I told you in the first part of his second coming, he's coming in the clouds. But after that seven-year tribulation, our Lord's coming to this earth. How's he coming? The first time Jesus came to this earth, he came as a baby in a manger. He came as a lamb to be led to the slaughter. He came to hang up on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth. But my friend, when Jesus comes the next time, he's not coming as a baby in a manger and he's not coming as a lamb to be led to the slaughter. But rather, he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to ride on a white horse to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem to rule and to reign for 1,000 glorious years. And guess what? We're coming with him. He said, how are we getting here? We're riding horses too. He said, I don't like to ride a horse. You better get used to it. You're going to be riding one that day. We're coming back. Look, look at Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11. I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and righteous. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And then verse 14 of the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're coming back to this earth and we're going to be here for a thousand years. He said, well, Tim, what are we going to do for a thousand years? That depends. Remember a little while ago I said that there was a judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. Now, Christian friend, listen to me. You and I will never, ever be judged for our salvation. That was taken care of at Calvary. And the moment that you believed, it was settled forever. But there is a judgment for the believer. For the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And not so much for the things that were done, but for the things that were not done. Matthew chapter 25, again and again, the Lord says that those who have been faithful in a few things shall be made ruler over many things. Speaking of the kingdom of God on this earth. It's difficult today to get people to be faithful to the things of God faithful to the house of God, faithful to the word of God, faithful to witnessing for God, faithful to giving to the Lord. But if you've been faithful in a few things, the Bible says you shall be made ruler over many things. That's why preachers preach about dedication and consecration and living for God and making your life count for Jesus and having a testimony for our Lord. What's going to happen then? At the end of that thousand year period, the Bible says Satan will be loosed out of his prison 
for a little season. Now, why? I don't know why. I've read what the scholars said. Nobody knows except God said so. And then he's going to be conquered and defeated for the last and the final time. And that brings me to where I want to be tonight. There was a first resurrection. It's for the believer. There will be a second resurrection. It's for the unbeliever. Who is it that will be resurrected to stand at this great white throne judgment seat of God? Every atheist that ever denied Christ. You say, well, Tim, I'm not even sure I believe there is a God. Doesn't matter. You will still be resurrected to stand before this holy and righteous God. Every agnostic that ever denied Christ. Every liberal modernist that ever denied Christ. Every murderer that ever denied Christ. Every drunkard that ever denied Christ. Every thief that ever denied Christ. Every liar that ever denied Christ. Every good and decent and moral person that ever denied Christ will be brought forth to stand before God at the great white throne. Where will this, resur where will this judgment take place? We don't know. The Bible said heaven and earth fled away. But there's a literal white throne. There's a second resurrection. There's going to be a second judgment. The first judgment was for the believer. The second is for the unbeliever. This literal white throne. And Christian friend, you need to hear me tonight. We're not going to be in outer space somewhere playing games. We're going to be there. Not to be judged, but to watch the judgment. And I'm afraid it's not going to be all the shouting and hullabaloo that some people think that it's going to be. Matter of fact, on that day there will be weeping. And there will be tears. You say, well, Tim, I thought God wiped away all tears. Go to Revelation 21 and verse number one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He said, Tim, it says right there, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears. Everything that happens in chapter number 21 chronologically happens after chapter 20. After the great white throne. And then there's no more tears. But what will it be like for a wife to see her husband brought before the Lord and for the Lord to say, depart from me. I never knew you. What would it be like for a husband to see his wife and for God to say, I never knew you a parent to see a son or a daughter and for God to say, I never knew you. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be tears, but the tears will be too late. I've seen people at a funeral home lean across a casket and wonder out loud whether the person in that casket was a Christian or not. I'm here to tell you tonight, that's the wrong time to be wondering whether they're a Christian or not. It's a little late. Several years ago, I was in Cartersville, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, and on a weeknight, I was preaching on my least favorite subject in all the Bible. I was preaching on the subject of hell. And I believe I'd rather preach on anything than to preach about hell. As I said a moment ago, broad is the road that leads to destruction. There's a whole lot more people going to hell than there are going to heaven. Somebody needs to warn them. Somebody needs to tell them. Right in the middle of my message that night, a grown man back on this side of the building, an adult man began to cry out loud. Everybody in the building could hear it. I thought, well, this guy, he'll be the first to come when the invitation is given. But instead, 
when the invitation was given, he left. And I was discouraged. I thought we'll probably never see him again. The service was over and a side door opened and in came this, this man. He was a big fellow. He was still crying. He came over to where I was at and he asked if he could talk to me. And I thought, I'm going to get an opportunity to lead this man to Christ. But he soon told me that he was already a Christian. Told me where he and his family used to go to church. I knew the church. I knew his pastor. And he began to tell me a story. Two years earlier, he was an independent businessman and his business took off. And he began to make more money than he had ever dreamed of making. He was making money hand over fist. And after a while, he was staying home from Wednesday night prayer meeting just to keep up with the receipts. And then, and then it got to where he was taking trips on weekends with his family and they were going here and they were going there. And, and then after a while, they were out of church altogether. People from the church would come by to see him. They'd tell him, look, we're coming back. One day the pastor went to see him and he got angry at his pastor and ran him off, told him not to come back. This big man standing in front of my wheelchair began to sob. He said, two weeks ago tomorrow, I buried my 16-year-old son. He was killed in a truck wreck. And he said, for two weeks, I haven't been able to eat. I haven't been able to sleep. I haven't been able to work. He said, I don't know whether my son went to heaven or whether he went to hell. And this big fellow reached out and he put his hands on my shoulder and he began to shake me. And he cried out seven or eight times, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And what the sad thing about it was, he couldn't do anything. The moment his son took his last breath, his destination was settled forever. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a little late after they're lowering their body into the grave to wonder whether they were saved or not. Now's the time to weep. Now's the time to pray. Now's the time to hand out a gospel tract. Not after they're dead and gone. It won't do them a bit of good. There's going to be a second resurrection. There's going to be a second judgment. There must be a judge. Who is this judge that is worthy to sit on this throne? Not but one. We oftentimes refer to him as the second Adam, but the Bible more appropriately calls him the last Adam, only one. Lost friend, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, would you listen on purpose to what I'm about to tell you? Tonight, Jesus Christ stands as the savior of the world, full of love and grace and mercy and compassion, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And tonight, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done. If you're willing to repent of your sins and turn to Christ, the moment you by faith say yes to Jesus, you'll become his child forever. If you say no, and you see our God, our God is a perfect gentleman. Our God doesn't come rushing and breaking the doors down in your life, whether you want him or not. He stands at the door and knocks and he waits for you to open the door. He waits for you to say yes. But if you say no, on that day, he's not going to be your savior. It was a large city. A judge was taking a leisure walk. And as he walked, he went across the bridge. And as he crossed that bridge, he heard a cry from down below. It was a cry of someone in trouble. The judge, not thinking of his own safety, dove to the waters below. And there was a young man, a 17-year-old boy that was about to drown. The judge, in a heroic effort, began to fight and swim and pull that young man toward the shore. The crowds gathered to see what the commotion was. Finally, 
the judge reached the shore and the young man's life was saved. The crowds clapped and cheered. The young man hugged the judge's neck and thanked him again and again for having saved his life. And then they went their separate ways. It was four years later in that same city. That judge was in his courtroom. The jury had found a man guilty of a horrendous crime against society and now the judge was to make the sentence. The courtroom was filled that day as they waited in anticipation to see what the judge would say. And the man was brought to stand before the judge and the judge looked at him and said these words, because of the nature of your crime, I must sentence you to die in the electric chair. There was an outburst in the courtroom. The man standing in front of the judge began to weep and plead out loud. He was crying. He said, but judge, he said, sir, he said, don't you remember me? judge did not remember. Hundreds of faces every year came before that judge. And a man weeping and crying said, but four years ago, you saved my life. You kept me from drowning. And now surely you would not sentence me to die. Silence once again filled that courtroom as they waited again to see how the judge would reply. And these are the words that he spoke. On that day, I was your savior. Today, I'm your judge. Tonight, lost friend, Jesus Christ stands as the Savior of the world. And if you'll turn to him, he'll save you. He'll make you his child. But if you say no, on that day, he will be your judge. There's a second resurrection. There's a second judgment. The last Adam is that judge. What is the penalty? Look, if you would, back in Revelation chapter number 20. Look, if you would, at verse number 14. And death, here it is. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Second death. What is this second death? Friend, if you've been born twice, you're only going to die once. But if you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. And it's the second death that you should be all concerned about this evening. What is the second death? The Bible describes it as a lake of fire. The Bible says it's a place where the smoke of their torments ascendeth up forever and ever. The Bible said that it's a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. The Bible said that the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and he cried and he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. Well, my soul, to listen to many preachers preach in 2006, you would think they had air-conditioned hell. You would think to hear them preach that it's not all that bad of a place to begin with. How sad it's deceitful and it's dishonest. People today joke about hell. I've heard people say to their best friends in a joking manner, I'll go to hell. Friend, if you knew what hell was like tonight, you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go to hell. I've heard educate. We, we was in a grocery store several years ago and, uh, and it was raining hard outside. There's a couple standing in front of me. The guy says to his wife, says, it's raining like hell outside. Well, how dumb is that? 
I've been in the northern part of the United States. I've heard educated people say, it's colder than hell outside. How stupid is that? My wife tells me not to use the word stupid in front of little children. Parents, you take care of that when you get home, all right? I used the word moron last night, honey. <laughs> I'm confessing. Some religions teach that there is no such place called hell. They might as well lock arms with you and lead you straight into hell. That same crowd teaches only 144,000 is going to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. Are you listening to me? Right now, this very moment, there's a mansion being built just for me and my wife. We're not going to have separate mansions. I don't believe. <laughs> well, if we do, they'll be next door to each other. I'm going to heaven. That leaves 143,999. How many of you plan on going? Hold your hand up high there and down some more right there. Other people teach that hell is like striking a match. You strike a match, you blow it out, it's over with. You go to hell, you burn up, and that's all there is to hell. Hey, people suffer more hell than that in 9-11. People suffer more hell than that in plane crashes and car wrecks and apartment fires. That's not hell. Others teach and preach a place called purgatory. And if you go to a purgatory, if enough is paid, and if enough is prayed, then after a while you can get out. You start from the very first verse to the very last verse in this book, and there's no remote description in all this Bible of a place called purgatory. It does not exist. It's a false hope. And my friends, speaking of hope, I believe that's the worst thing about hell. There's a lot of bad things about hell, but if I had to tell you tonight, that there was one thing worse about hell than anything else, I believe would be the fact that there is no hope. You see, if you could go to hell for five years and, and you knew at the end of five years you were getting out, it would be horrible, it would be terrible, but you would always know that in five years you're getting out, there's hope. If you go to hell for 500 years and you knew at the end of 500 years you were getting out, you'd always know there was hope. But ladies and gentlemen, there is no light at the end of the tunnel in hell. There's no hope. Look, in, look back in 2 Thessalonians again tonight, chapter number one. 2 Thessalonians chapter one and verse number eight. I want you to see this. In flaming fire, here it is. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number nine. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And the key word in verse number nine is the word everlasting. Where else do we find that word? John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just as the believer will be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever, the unbeliever will be in hell, banned from the presence of God forever and ever and ever. In the fall of 1978, I resigned the church I was pastoring in Southern Illinois, believing that God wanted me to be an evangelist. And um, Con and I, we sold every stick of furniture we had we sold all of our belongings except a few personal items. We had for our home for nearly four years a 40-foot fifth-wheel trailer and a four-door pickup truck. 320 square feet of living space. And that's why we traveled. That was our home for four years. And I never heard that lady grumble or complain about it. Not one 
single time. We was in Houston one time. A lady comes up to her and said, how does it feel to be on vacation all the time? My wife's a whole lot nicer than I am. I'd like to hit that woman over the head with a two by four. Now you go on a vacation for two weeks and you travel for two weeks. When you get back, you're ready for a vacation. We did it 50 weeks a year. Our revivals in those days were Sunday through Friday, travel all day on Saturday to get to our next meeting. And, uh, but when I went into evangelism, moved my family to Oklahoma City on January the 1st, 1979, to work out of a church there, I never had one meeting scheduled anywhere. But I knew God wanted me to be an evangelist. And I do not say this boastfully, and please do not misunderstand me. Sometimes people do, but I'm not boasting, and God knows my heart. But there are years on an average when we get 500, 600 invitations a year, sometimes far more than that. But when I went into evangelism, I never had a day scheduled anywhere. So when I went to that church, I didn't have anything to do. So what I would do, I'd take laymen of that church and go out knocking on doors, sometimes cold turkey, passing out tracts, talking to people about Jesus. Some people were receptive. Some people were not receptive. And um, that's the way it's always been, by the way. And um, there was a man in that church by the name of John Albritton. And he asked me if I would go with him on Thursday night to make three visits to people that he was really burdened for. And I made a commitment that on that Thursday night I would go with him. Well, on Thursday morning, a major winter storm hit Oklahoma City. Dumped about eight to 10 inches of snow and the wind was blowing and piling it up in huge drifts. And uh, the wind, it was 20 degrees above zero. Wind chill factor was far less of that. And I would have certainly been excused from going, but Folks, people go to hell in the wintertime just like they do in the summertime. Somebody still needs to go tell them. And um, somebody asked me in a question and answer period one time, a guy, a pastor asked me, said, well, when you was a pastor, how'd you go visit? I said, I'd go in my wheelchair. And sometimes Southern Illinois, there'd be as much as a foot of snow on the ground. I had these Carhartt coveralls. These are the best, well-insulated, man-made coveralls. And my wife would cut the legs off to the appropriate length and sew up the ends of them. We was in St. Louis. As at a mall and somebody broke in our pickup truck, the only thing they stole was my coveralls. Now, I'd have given them to them to watch them put them on. <laughs> I, I put those coveralls on. Sometimes I have visits to make by myself. And, and, and I go out, I put those coveralls on. I, I go out and sometimes my wheelchair would get stuck in the snow. And I'd actually have to get down out of my wheelchair on the snow and the cold and pick my chair up and put in some fresh snow and, and get up and go again. He said, what did you do when you came to stairs? I said, I'd go up those stairs on my hands and my bottom. I'd knock on the door. People come to the door. They look around. They didn't see nobody. <laughs> While they were looking around, I'd slip on in. <laughs> what you call the element of surprise. I picked John up at the church that night and we drove to the first house. These are people he was really burdened for and we drove to the first home, knocked on the door and nobody was at home. At least no one came to answer the door. We went to the second house and knocked on the door and uh, no one answered the door. We drove to the third house, knocked on the door. A lady came to the door when she found out why John was there and why he brought me, she got angry. Said a few choice words and slammed the door, strike three. Well, it was still 
real early. And I said, John, we're already out. I said, look, I, I said, is there a hospital we could go to, maybe make some visits, encourage somebody, just try to be a blessing? He said, Baptist Hospital is less than two miles from right here. I said, let's go. Our car is in the street. We're in the driveway of the third home. Now, I'm a fairly independent person. And I don't like for people just start pushing my wheelchair without asking me first. And if you're ever in a wheelchair, you don't understand why I just said that. But as I've gotten older, I've had four stents put in my heart. I've had both my shoulders reconstructed. And I've gotten a little smarter as I got older too. And so I let people help me a little more than them. But John said, Tim, let me help you with your wheelchair. Well, I was struggling. I said, okay, well, I don't know what happened for sure. He grabbed a hold of the back of my wheelchair. When he grabbed a hold of it, he lost his footing and he fell. But he didn't let go of my wheelchair. <laughs> he pulled me over on top of him out into the snow. It wasn't all that funny, I promise you. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was a little bit upset. I was trying not to show it. And, and um, we got in the car, turned the heat up full blast. I was trying to drive off. I'm driving over to the hospital. I'm thinking, what a wasted night. We got to the hospital. They had cleared most of the parking lot off. It was still wet. And, and you don't have any guards on a wheelchair. And so in wet weather, you're going to get your clothes wet. John said, Tim, he said, look, I can do better. Let me help you. Well, it was a straight shot across there. And we did real good until he got to the curb. He didn't see the curb. Instead of throwing me out backwards this time, he threw me out forward. It wasn't all that funny, I promise you. I'm holding myself up with my hands, trying to keep from getting my clothes all wet. My, my wheelchair is over here. John, I look up, John's got big old tears running out of face. He's crying and he's apologizing. I said, John, my hands are freezing to the concrete. He said, was you upset? No, I was mad. And uh, we, we went in to the men's room to clean up. I, and for a, a brief moment, I almost said to John, let's go. We didn't know who we were visiting. We got on the elevator. We went up to the third floor. There was a sign there when you got off the elevator that pointed to the left, said the burn unit. I said, John, maybe we can be a blessing to somebody in the burn unit. Let's go to the burn unit. We headed down. As we were getting ready to go into the burn unit, there were two adult men coming out. They had been visiting in the burn unit. And um, both they, they had on the required uh, uh, gown over their street clothes, hospital gown. They had the mask and the gloves that were required for anyone to go into the burn unit. And they were in the process of taking them off. And I could tell both these grown men had been crying. And so I went over and introduced myself. And I said, gentlemen, I, I said, look, I'm a preacher. I said, is there something I can help you with or at least pray with you about? They told me this told us that on Christmas Day, their two nephews had been playing in some cotton and the cotton had caught fire. And both of them had been burned very seriously. I found out one of those men was a Christian. The other one wasn't. But there in the hospital quarter in a few moments time, I took my little New Testament and I showed him how that he could be saved. And he bowed his head, repented of his sins, received Christ as a Savior and he got born into the family of God. When we got finished praying and talking to them a few more moments, they asked us if we would mind going to seeing their nephews. We told them that we would. We put on the required uh, gown over our street clothes, our, the mask and the gloves. We went down to the first room on the left. It was room of 14-year-old Michael Williams. Michael was burned with third-degree burns over 60% of his body. 
And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you from experience that when you go visit people in a hospital, especially people who are in a lot of pain, you need to be careful that you don't overstay your welcome. Because if you're not careful, you can end up actually doing more harm than good. I, I say that from, I spent eight months in a hospital, and I'm telling you that from experience. I went over to talk to Michael, and he definitely wanted to talk. I told him what happened to his uncle. Found out later on, they had a godly grandmother, been praying for years for those boys. They wouldn't listen to grandma. But now Michael was willing to listen to me. And I took my Bible and showed the same thing that I showed his uncle, and there on his bed, he too bowed his head, repented of his sins, received Christ as his Savior, and he got born again. He was so happy. And Michael said, will you go tell my brother? Now, and that's just like a lost person that gets saved. They want somebody else to get saved. You can't keep it for yourself. We went all the way down in the corner, last room on the left, about six or eight feet or so from the door, I heard screaming. I've heard the screams of men in pain before, friend, but I've never heard anything like I heard that night. We started to open the door to go in and a male nurse stepped right in front of me and said, I'm sorry, but you can't go in. I, I said, but sir, I need to. He said, only the families." Allowed in every hour for 10 minutes. Their time's up. No one's going to be allowed in now until in the morning. I said, but sir, the family's asked me to go in. He said, who are you? I, I, I said, I'm a preacher. He said, Reverend, even if I let you go in there, he wouldn't understand. He's out of his mind. We keep nurses in there round the clock. His uncles had told me they didn't know whether he'd make it through the night. And I began to cry. I pled with that nurse. I begged him. I said, please let me go in. I'll never bother you again. He broke a hospital rule and he let John and I go in. 16-year-old Benji Williams. He wasn't on a normal bed. It was a circular type of a bed. It was up at about a 45 degree angle. They didn't have any clothes on. They couldn't put clothes on. He was burned with third degree burns over 95% of his body. Parts of his body totally and completely disfigured. Four nurses were in that room tending to him. And I could tell by the looks that we were getting that we weren't gonna have long. I went over, got as close as I could to Benji and I tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. He was screaming and, and out of his mind. And finally I got desperate and I cupped my hands up to my mouth and I said, Benji, I said, Benji, I'm a preacher and I've, I've got some good news for you. Will you listen to me? If John Albritton or those four nurses are here tonight, all five of them would tell you just like that. He quit his screaming and his hollering and he fixed his eyes on my eyes and he never moved them until I got through talking to him. I wasn't there to talk to him about the World Series. I wasn't there to talk to him about the Super Bowl or the weather or anything else. I was there to tell him the old, old story. How Savior came from glory. I told him what had happened to his uncle. I told him what had happened to Michael. I said, Benji, wouldn't you like to know that when you died, that you'd go to heaven with what little he could. He nodded his head. I read him the scriptures. I showed him what the Bible said. Benji, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Will you pray this prayer? Me in your heart. He nodded his head. As I started leading that prayer, I looked up. A couple of those nurses had tears run down their face. John and I were both weeping. The Holy Spirit of God had moved in that room so powerful and so strong. I led Benji in that sinner's prayer. I said, Benji, did you pray that prayer in your heart? Did you mean it? With what Lily could, he nodded his head. I said, Benji, according to the scriptures I just showed you here, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? God is my witness. A smile came across his burnt face and he nodded his head to say yes, he knew. John and I left that 
hospital that night. We, we were on cloud nine. We went back on Friday night. Connie and I went back to the hospital and went in to see Michael. He was making improvement, left him some literature that I told him we would bring him. Went down to see Benji. They wouldn't let Connie in, but I went in to see him and only one nurse was there. And that was one of the nurses from the four the night before. And that nurse said, he hadn't been the same person since you were here. Well, he wasn't the same person. We left on Saturday to drive to Houston. There was a Bible conference. I wasn't speaking at it, but I wanted to attend it. We were there all week. Then the following week, we went to Corpus Christi, Texas to be with uh, Lester Roloff. Brother Roloff had a home for wayward young people. Most of them been in trouble with the law and, and problems in their life. And he had invited me and my family to come there and just spend a week. And so we did. While we were there, my pastor called me and he told me, he said, Benji went home last night to be with the Lord. I put that phone back up there in the guest room in Rebecca, girl's home, and my mind went back to two weeks earlier. Eight or 10 inches of snow, 20 degrees above zero, wind chill factor far less than that. Two doors, nobody at home, third door cursed out. Dropped out of a wheelchair twice. But that night, three people got born into the family of God. And tonight, Benji Williams is in heaven. And if he had not gotten saved, his suffering would have just begun. There's a second resurrection. There's a second judgment. There's the last Adam who's the judge. There's a second death. And for Benji and Michael and their uncle, there's a second birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. Lost friend, joining this church won't take you to heaven. This pastor will tell you right here. This Baptist pastor will look you in the eyes and tell you, you can join this church. It will not take you to heaven. He'll also tell you this. You can get in that baptistry and be baptized. It won't save you. It won't take you to heaven. There's only one way. And that's for you to be willing to repent of your sins and to say yes by faith to Jesus Christ. Would you draw an imaginary circle around yourself for a moment? Just our musicians coming, that's all. I, I want to talk to all the Christians for a moment. I want to talk to every believer in this room. How many would say tonight, Tim, I know I'm saved, I know I'm a Christian, but truth of the matter is I haven't been doing much to get anybody else saved. I know I'm going to heaven, but I haven't been doing much to take anyone to heaven with me. And Tim, I know tonight I've got lost family members and friends and relatives. Maybe they're living in the same house. I've got coworkers, I've got classmates, I've got neighbors that I'm pretty sure if they were to die tonight, they wouldn't go to heaven. I don't want them to go to hell. Tim, pray for me tonight that I can have a burden, a real genuine burden for these lost friends of mine, family members of mine, that I can see them come to Christ, that I can be a part of sharing Jesus with them. Let me see your hands tonight. Would you hold them up high? You can take them down. Friend, I know you meant it when you raise your hand. Even if you're a guest tonight, I want you to participate. We're going to do things a little different tonight than the last two nights. In a moment, we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask all of you, that raised your hands to come and stand here. I don't want you to kneel. There's a reason for that. We're going to pray together tonight and it could have a great impact on what's going to happen here tomorrow night. But I don't want you to come just to be coming. 
I don't want you to come because I ask you to. I want you to come tonight because you're serious about this burden that you raised your hand about a moment ago. Right before we sing, how many in this building would say, Tim, I'm not even for sure I'm saved. I'm not even for sure I'm a Christian. I'm a friend, you've been a member of this church or any other church for 20 years, but if you've never had a personal relationship with Christ, that means you're lost. You say, well, Tim, I'm, I'm about 90% sure I'm saved, then you're 100% lost. And, and would you let me pray for you? I, I won't embarrass you. I would not do that. That's not what this is about. But would you let me pray for you tonight? You care enough to let this preacher pray for you. You say, Tim, I'm not for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. And I certainly don't want to go to hell. And I believe God spoke to my heart tonight. Pray for me. No one looking. Just slip your hand up and then take it right back down. God bless you, sir. God bless you, buddy. God bless your heart. You can take your hands down. Anyone else, quietly, just put your hand up. God bless you, sir. God bless these adult men. Anyone else at all, say, Tim, include me in that prayer. Would it be one or two others? Teenager, mom or dad, God bless you, young man. God bless you, buddy. There's four hands. Would there be one more? One more. Just put your hand up. Take it back down. God bless your heart, young lady. There's five Three adults and two young people. Excuse me, that's six. Three adults and three young people. Listen to me. All six of you, this could be the greatest day in your whole life. Hello, Jesus. Yes, it's really me. After all the wrong I've done, Lord. I guess you're surprised to see me Here at your altar Like a beggar on bended knees Who's come here to beg you, oh Lord Please, please forgive me I can't make it without you, Jesus Yes, I finally see so let me surrender my life to you and Jesus, Jesus, please forgive me. I've learned the truth about Satan's so-called good life. Oh, it was just a candle It was just a candle Too short to burn through the night Now I'm here in the darkness And I come to you and plead Oh, light my life Oh, light my life Please forgive me, oh please forgive me I can't make it without you Jesus Yes I finally see, so let me confess my sins And you can give me eternal life and Jesus, please, 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 
friends, we told you that this was a powerful, powerful message. And I know that each and every one of you had to make a decision today. It's time to get serious with God. It's not just your soul that is affected by the decision you're making today. If you have children at home, if you have a spouse at home, if you have friends that are looking to you for some type of leadership, then that's the domino effect because you could take them wherever you go. And don't you want to take them to meet Jesus? All you got to do is pray a simple little prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Take out my stony heart and give me a brand new heart. I will live for you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Drivers, if you said that prayer, we encourage you to give us a call. You can call me, Daryl Spicer, at 615-663-3199. Or give me a call, Chaplain Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministries, 618-383-2107. We want to help you. Lost without hope Eighteen wheels of lonesome At the end of the road In my hand was a track The preacher had read His words still echoing In the back of my head I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Those 18 wheels are rolling that old lonesome road and I shared the good news wherever I go yes there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be and I tell everybody what's happened to me how I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past but I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees 